This morning, I have a special message called Jewish Secrets at Hanukkah and Christmas Time. And before we begin our study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. When I first started reading the New Testament scriptures, I was shocked by something, that they were written by Jews and that they were written about Jewish things that took place in the land of Israel because I grew up not knowing that. And I was a relatively normal Jewish person who just didn't know the facts. And so I was surprised by that. But I was also surprised in reading Torah myself to find the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph and beyond, to, to read the stories for myself in the scriptures and to see how God had worked, how he had revealed himself and shown himself to our people. It was surprising to me. But as I read both the Tanakh, the Torah, the Neve'im, the prophets, and Ketuvim, uh, the writings, as I read the Tanakh, and I read the writings of the Brit HaKadoshah, and saw that they were of one piece, that they fit together, I recognized that there were many things in there that weren't well known. And in fact, many things that people believe are true are not necessarily even in the Bible. So many of us have actually learned things when we were little children and we were reading storybooks and picture books and things like that, that, that were not based on the text of the scriptures. They were just passing references to the scriptures. And so it's useful for us to, to learn what the scriptures have to say and to discover what, what may be for, for you secrets, things that you didn't know that are hiding in plain sight in the scriptures. Now, before I read to you some things from the scriptures and tell you some of these secrets, we'll go through four secrets I want to remind you that tonight is the seventh night of Hanukkah, and it's Christmas Eve as well. I'm one of those people who always had difficulty knowing what day Christmas uh, took place on, because it wasn't celebrated in my family. We celebrated Hanukkah, which we were confident of was not the Jewish Christmas. It was Hanukkah. It was our holiday. Christmas was their holiday. That's how we understood it. And I, I couldn't keep track. Was Christmas on the 24th or the 25th? And that was because I didn't realize that Christmas Eve was on the 24th and Christmas Day was on the 25th. And just like Jewish holidays, you have evening, then you have morning, and you have a day. And so Christmas was like that. 
And I find there are a lot of Jewish people in America who are also getting the dates mixed up. It's like, what day is Christmas this year? Well, that's just a little reminder. And then I want to give you some personal background that actually helped me think about these questions. And it goes back to 1997 when we were working in Ukraine and Russia and parts of the former Soviet Union, and we were bringing the good news of Yeshua in a Jewish way with Hero Israel Ministries. And Anya and Eric remember those times very well. I don't know if you would know each other otherwise. In 96, you met, yeah. Thanks to those times. Well, in 97, we were preparing for a Messianic Jewish outreach in Vinitsa, Ukraine. And there was a lot of opposition. And much of it was coming from American Jewish leaders who had moved to that area, and they were just against whatever we were doing. It was their job. But also, some was coming directly from Chabad leaders, and they were complaining maybe the most to the government. So one day, one of our staff said that we had to show up that afternoon for a very important meeting with government officials. And that meant I had to go as a representative of Hero Israel and as a spokesman. And so I find myself in a room filled with Ukrainian officials. And I'm pretty sure that all of them had been communist officials just a few years before. Uh, same guys, same mentality, same ways of intimidating. It was not a friendly moment. And we were not exactly sure why we were there, but we knew we were going to find out. So there were local officials from the Venetia mayor's office. There were some government lawyers and at least one guy from the KGB. And they have a new name, but same KGB. And at least one representative from the foreign ministry, and he did most of the talking at first. And he said that we were causing a very big controversy and that it was a big problem. And if you know anything about communist officials, they hate controversy. They hate things being stirred up. They just wanted quiet. So he made it clear that we should be afraid of him and what he could do. And what he could do, he told us, is declare us officially persona non grata, uh, unwelcome people. And that would mean, and he described it in very simple terms, that means we would be taken in custody and we would be taken to an airport, not one in Vinitsa and Kiev, and we would be forced to leave forever. Our visas would be canceled, and we could never come back to Ukraine. That's what he was saying to us. It was actually a terrible meeting. It was very tense, and the room was hot physically. They had the heat turned up so hot, so much, that I remember I was just dripping. 
And I understood what, what was at stake. And after giving enough threats to us to intimidate us, the government inquisitor asked, why were we causing so much controversy? Because they hated this kind of uh, controversy. They just hated it. And I had to give an answer. Somehow I had to find an answer. And so I just started praying quietly. I don't know if you've learned to do this, but when you don't know what to say, you're not at the end of your ropes, even if you're at the end of your words. Because if you have the Lord in your life, you can call to him and he will answer. Now, I decided I would do that silently because I thought it won't go well if I start praying out loud with this group. But silently I was saying to the Lord that really simple prayer, maybe you know it, it goes like this. Help. And because it was silent, it didn't have any volume. It was more like a whimper prayer. Do any of you ever pray like that? I, I may be the only one here who sometimes prays to God, help me, help. And so it was that kind of prayer. And I understood that I had to give an answer to the question. I couldn't be silent with these officials. I had to explain something that would help. And so I decided to answer with the only ideas that were coming to my mind. And I can't say that I figured anything out. It's just I didn't have anything figured out. And so I said something like this when they said, why is there all this controversy about you? And so I looked at them and I said, well, you know, that Jesus was born a Jew in Israel, in the land of Israel, and that all of his first followers were Jewish. And you know that the apostles were Jewish. And so I sort of, I was almost out of ideas after I said that. I said that, and they all started nodding their heads. Yes. We know that. And I thought, whew, that's good. They said, yes, we've heard that. And I said, well, we're connected to them. We're Jews who follow Jesus. I, I didn't even bother to say Yeshua or to explain Yeshua or to get into any of that. I, I had very little time with them, and the inquisitor said, well, why are you causing so much opposition? Why is there so much controversy? And I needed an answer for that. And so in desperation, I said something like this. You know, our movement started in Jerusalem, in Israel 2,000 years ago, and they're nodding. And I said, but Chabad started in Ukraine just a couple hundred years ago. So actually, we're the older brother. And they're the younger brother. But they 
think they're in charge of everything. I said, we don't think that way. We consider all Jewish people to be our brothers and all Christians to be our brothers. So that's it. That's why there's such a controversy. And at that moment, I was so shocked that that made sense to them. And they looked at each other and said, okay, we just needed to understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they said, yeah, you can continue then. Yeah, so these simple facts are really important. Jesus was a Jew. His first followers were Jews in the land of Israel. The apostles were Jews, and we're connected to them. We're Jews like that. Now, there happened to be a journalist in the room, I think, who was excited about the idea of a story that these Americans who were so controversial were about to be arrested and thrown out of the country. But, but a different story came because we were allowed to stay and to continue to operate. He got one of the details wrong. He sort of mishmashed it together. He said that our organization, Hero Israel Ministries, was 2,000 years old. <laughs> and when we, when we read that in the newspaper, we said, well, close enough. But these facts are found in the Bible, the writings of the Brita Chadashah, and even so, many of the details are still secrets both to Christians and to Jews. And so it's a good time to open up some Jewish secrets at Christmas time, which also happens to be Hanukkah time this year. And most of the secrets are hiding in plain view in the Bible. You can read the Bible yourself, you should so that you'll know these for yourself. And there'll come a time maybe when you will be able to use these to help other people too. So with that in mind, let's look at four Jewish secrets at Hanukkah and Christmas time. Okay, secret number one, and, and for many of you, you already know this very well. But for some of our podcast listeners and for some people who are participating through live stream, this will be news to you that Jesus, Yeshua, celebrated Hanukkah. And so did his first followers. It's in the Bible, in John chapter 10, verse 22 through 25. And it says, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And I'll use Jesus as the, uh, the name here just because of the NIV translation that I'm referring to. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. So the Feast of Dedication, the NIV footnote says that is Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah in Hebrew means dedication. It was the holiday that marked the rededication of the, uh, of the temple. So Hanukkah is not a Torah holiday. The events that Hanukkah commemorates took place after the writing of the Torah. And when is Hanukkah? It's wintertime, Kislev, 25th. It starts at sundown. It continues for a total of eight nights and days. What is Solomon's colonnade? It's the part of the Jerusalem temple at the time that the book of Acts says is where all the disciples of Yeshua like to gather. 
And Josephus in his Antiquities writes about Hanukkah. This restoration of the worship of God was a very joyful event to every religious Israelite. And being considered as a new dedication of the temple, great regard was paid to the festival instituted in remembrance of it. Josephus called it the Feast of Lights because the city of Jerusalem was illuminated as an expression of joy with uh, burning candles everywhere. And it wasn't just limited to Jerusalem, according to the scholar John Lightfoot. It was throughout the land. So Solomon's colonnade was a special place for Yeshua and for his disciples. It's mentioned in the book of Acts. Acts 2.46 talks in general every day, the disciples. And when it says disciples, you know who it means. The disciples of Yeshua continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's interesting because they didn't stop being Jewish when they became disciples. Acts 3.11 says they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the lame man who was healed was holding tightly to Peter and John. And then Acts 5.12 mentions it. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Where did they like to get together in Jerusalem? Solomon's colonnade, that part of the Jerusalem temple. And so Yeshua was in that part of the temple that became like the messianic wing, if you will, the messianic gathering place. And he was there on Hanukkah, according to John 10, verse 22, because Hanukkah was an important holiday for the Jewish people. And it was also significant because Hanukkah marked the rededication of the temple and the return of worship of the God of Israel in the face of cultural compromise and many great forces against them. So the first Jewish secret for Hanukkah and Christmas time, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. And so did his first followers. Now, second secret. The first people to be happy about the birth of Jesus were Jews, yeah. It's also in the Bible. We're going to look at three people who were happy about his birth. First is a young Jewish woman named Miriam. We'll read about her when she's visited by an angel. And by the way, uh, she's probably better known by her English name, which is Mary. Her, that was not the name she used or her family used. It was Miriam. So Luke chapter 1, verse 29, I'm reading again from a common English translation. Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. You know, this was so interesting that the angel spoke English. She understood English. 
And now this is the translation. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if you're paying close attention, you're actually, you probably noticed this, that her first response, Miriam's first response was not joy. It was fear. But let's read on to a moment when she's actually excited about the birth. In Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So now we see Miriam is happy. She's rejoicing. She sees the blessing. She sees the faithfulness of God. She sees that God is faithful to the Jewish people, to Israel. She sees God is fulfilling his promise to her Jewish ancestors, to Abraham and beyond. And so she's happy for them. Let's look at a couple more. One is a Jewish man named Shimon, better known in English as Simeon. It's in Luke 2, 25 that we start reading. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, Yeshua, to do for him what the custom of Torah required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, do you know what the custom of Torah required? Circumcision and dedication on the 30th day for the firstborn. Circumcision on the eighth day. Pidyon Haben on the 30th day. And so he takes him in his arms and he praises God and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Yeshua Techa which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So he's rejoicing, and he's basically saying to the Lord, I have now seen the one you promised, and my life is complete. If you want to take me home now, you can. And then the third person is a Jewish woman named Hannah, or Anna in English. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple grounds but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So imagine the scene. Everyone who is like in that area who maybe was hoping for Israel to be redeemed, she starts talking as a prophet and starts declaring what is happening in front of their very eyes. Verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the Torah of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Miriam, Shimon, Hannah, three Jews who were happy about the birth of Jesus. So we could say the first people who were happy about the birth of Jesus were Jewish people. That's a second secret. It's also interesting to read some of the new scholarship about the wise men who came to visit. And some indications that they were Jewish priests or chacham, wise men, from the diaspora. That they weren't, they weren't foreigners. They were Jews who were looking for Messiah. But that's another story. Third secret. Did you know that Jesus' mom called him Yeshua, not Jesus? And for some people, that is just troubling because Jesus is such a revered name. And to say that that's not the name that she used can be disturbing to people who, who revere names. So let's go back to the NIV version in English, Luke 1, verse 31 and 32. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. So let's ask a question. What language did Miriam speak? Hebrew, not English. The angel would have been speaking to her also in Hebrew. And it's only in Hebrew that this name has any meaning at all. The Hebrew is Yeshua, which means salvation from God. Yeshua and Yehoshua are related names. Yeshua and Joshua, salvation from God. The name actually means something in Hebrew. Matthew provides a detail that's missing from Luke's account. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him how to name the child and why. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. 
She will give birth to a son and you shall, you shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So here's the thing. The name Yeshua means something. Call him this because he will save his people from their sins, salvation from God. That's what to call him because he will save. So not only did Miriam call him Yeshua, but Joseph also called him Yeshua. It was a family thing. So as the story of Yeshua moved into other languages, the name was transformed. Nothing sinister about it, just the common way names change as they move around. Same thing happened to Moses. His given name was Moshe, but it became Moses by the time it got to English. Same for Yeshua. His given name was Yeshua, but it became Jesus by the time it got to English. So here's the thing. Yeshua is actually a great name and is filled with meaning. And notice this, that Yeshua is a name that has a good Jewish feel to it. And so there it is, hidden in plain sight, another Jewish secret at Christmas time in Hanukkah. It's not an affectation to say Yeshua. It's the name that has meaning. Last secret, secret number four. And I, I find this one particularly troubling for some Messianic Jews. But it's a good secret for Hanukkah and Christmas time. Did you know that the first people to use Christ as a synonym for Messiah were Jews who spoke Greek? <laughs> yeah, that troubles some people. But the Jewish Bible was written originally in Hebrew with some parts in a related language, Aramaic. But as Jews spread into the Greek-speaking world and the countries of the Roman Empire, not every Jew read or spoke Hebrew as a first language, and that's why the Jewish Bible was translated into Greek, and the translation is called the Septuagint. It uses Greek in a very special Jewish way because it preserves the distinctive qualities of the Hebrew language, and in fact, it's not good Greek. It's not really Koine Greek either. It's it's Jewish Greek. That's what Professor Dan Gruber calls it, Jewish Greek. And it reminds me of Jewish English. If you're of a certain era and you have grandparents from a certain era, they may have said something like this to you. How's by you? And that was a way of saying, how are you? It wasn't good English, but it was good Jewish English. And every one of us who grew up with grandparents who spoke English like that as the second language knew to answer, how's about you? I'm fine. And there's even a version, how's about you, the family? Now, that does not make sense in English. It's not good English, but it was perfectly understandable to those of us who were raised with that type of English, Jewish English. But the Greek of the Septuagint is Jewish Greek, and the Greek of the Brita Harasha is also 
Jewish Greek. And so when the translators of the Septuagint were looking for a Greek word to use for Mashiach, Messiah, they chose the Greek word Christos. Say that word with me, Christos. Mashiach in Hebrew means the one who's anointed with oil. And it's important to know what that means. Anointed means oil is poured out upon the anointed one, Hamashiach. Christos was used not so much as a perfect translation because it wasn't precise, but it was used as a substitute or a stand-in word because Christos mean, meant to smear with oil. But for the Jewish Greek speakers, it was close enough. And it was understandable. So whenever Christos was read in Greek, it was understood to mean Mashiach, Messiah. That's important to understand. It wasn't connected to the Christos of Roman or Greek government or history or literature. It was connected to Jewish Greek and the way Jews picked words to communicate and to substitute, not always to translate, sometimes just as a substitute word. And you knew when you saw that word, it meant another word. So when the rest of the Bible was written, some in Hebrew, some in Greek, the apostles used the Septuagint as their style book and their glossary. So what word would the apostles use for Mashiach when they're writing in Greek? Christos. Yeah. So there you have it. One more good Jewish secret at Christmas time. So here's the real secret. Jews were the first people to introduce Christ as a Jewish Greek way of saying Messiah. Oy vey. So let's remember this, that the birth of Yeshua the Messiah, even though early believers did not celebrate a Christmas holiday, let's remember that lots of early believers thought Yeshua was not born this time of year. And yes, we can remember that many Christmas traditions aren't biblical, they aren't Jewish. In fact, some may have come from pagan practices and holidays, but it's still amazing, isn't it? That after all these years, the Bible text has all these Jewish secrets that are hidden in plain view. Now, I don't know if you're going to have an experience like I did. I don't know if you're going to be summoned to a hostile government meeting one day and have to give an explanation about what's going on. I don't know if you're going to have to explain to a family member or a friend who doesn't quite get it. But I want to encourage you to hold on to these simple Jewish secrets and to be lighthearted and joyful about this really crazy fact that many in the world around us are stopping to think about tonight and tomorrow. And that is, they're thinking about the Jewish Messiah and the coming of the Jewish Messiah. And that is absolutely an incredible secret to tell everybody about. So Lord, we 
Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that the text of our scriptures keep in plain sight these important facts and truths. Let them be hidden in our hearts and in our minds that we could readily explain to others why we have hope in this broken world and why in the midst of darkness and difficulty, we put our trust in the God of hope, the faithful one who is faithful to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, and to all of us, and who faithfully came to redeem us through Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close right now with Aaron's blessing. And for those of you who are participating by live stream, would you consider standing with us financially if this live stream is a blessing to you or if our podcast or any of our ministries are a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information is available on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And then don't forget, we're not staying here. We're going next door for donuts and coffee and fellowship in the Shalom Center. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you, guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you during this Hanukkah season. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So from Sandy and me and the entire Beth Israel team, thanks for joining us. Shabbat Shalom and Happy Hanukkah, everyone.